Welcome to episode 100 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On our centennial episode, we're chatting with Jason Calacanis. Jason is founder and CEO of Moholo. He's founder of the Launch Conference. He was entrepreneur in residence at Sequoia. He's many times speaker on Leo Laporte's Twit, 16th owner of a Tesla car, but perhaps his greatest achievement of all time is in being father of Texting. <laughs> Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. Uh, pleasure for having you. And. Uh... <laughs> Uh, father, forgive us. <laughs> I'm the father of the show. Yes. Do you know how you're the father of the show? Uh, remind me. Uh, well, because uh, this this week in startups, um, your first caller was Jason Jason Roberts, who called you to ask you about Prezo. Yep, I remember. That was his startup. And um, Jason, what was your exact question about Prezo at that time? Well, you know, it was sort of a zombie at that point, and so I just uh, was curious if um, he might have some insight on what I should do with it. I remember. All. I remember what I told you to do. Yep, that's right. That's right. So I, I basically looked up Prezo.com and saw that Jason lived just down the road. Jason Roberts, JR, as we've decided to call him. JR lived just down the road from me, so uh, gave him a call. And um, we, wow. we, we met up and uh, spoke a few times on Skype. And I thought to myself, my God, that sounds like a podcast, but it's live. <laughs> so we should turn it into a show. Well, the other thing that was interesting about that um, call-in was I was contacted by Joseph Essenfeld um, in regards to his idea for a job site. Uh-huh. And as a result, end up building the first version of Local Bacon, which then launched at your uh, TechCrunch. TechCrunch 50. 50. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm um, an investor I, in it. That's right. And I, no, I, we didn't end up meeting in person. I was there. I, I decided not to go up on stage and just, you know. Yeah. I was actually editing the site three minutes before I went live. <laughs> very nice. Very uh, nice. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, it's always quite a rush, the event. I, I, I have to say, like... The best part of the last couple of one of the best parts of the last couple of years from on a professional level has been getting to help the startups prepare for that moment when they launch. Uh, it really is a magical moment, and the preparation is a lot of fun. And Joe from um, Local Bacon, now Jibe, J I B E, um, was just, you know, I knew from the moment he came in the room, like, this kid's special. Like, he's got something, you know, he's got it, mm-hmm. whatever the it is. And I said, you know, I, I don't know if I would. Uh, you know, invest in local bacon. I might. I don't know, but I will invest in. I would invest in Joe. <laughs> uh, right. I would buy stock in Joe. And and sure enough, I mean, he's iterated and um, he's figuring it out. So yeah, I, I remember see. getting calls back from him. You know, I he he would be flying from New York to uh, meet with you and at these sort of prep prep yeah. interviews. I think and yeah. you know and uh, they were generally getting very positive feedback from you and. Uh, yep. It was exciting. The whole the whole thing was really exciting, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Tech crunch, the whole TechCrunch launch, you know, concept is is really cool. I yeah, I, I really enjoy it, and uh, we did. Um, I did a mandatory. Uh, I think in the first year it was mandatory two rehearsals, and then after that, for years two and three of TechCrunch Fifty, we did uh, three rehearsals mandatory, and uh, boy, was that uh, you know worth doing because people came in and we we'd actually. Tyler and I came up with a scoring system, Tyler who works with me, and we just said, okay, we'll take like a point off for this, a point off for that, a half point for this, and um, we would give people a score. We'd say, hey, listen, you know, you, you got about a five out of ten, uh, 
And uh, Tyler would say, you got a five and a half. You know, we actually turn over our scores independent of each other so that uh, the person knew we weren't like just making this up. Sure. And we'd explain our, our thinking. And boy, did that really help. It sort of created a system for how to really uh, present well at those conferences. And most people do exactly what they shouldn't do. They, it's like, it's almost comical. Like the rules we came up with of what not to do was what people like typically did. <laughs> again and again, right? Over and over and over. <laughs> so we just made some basic heuristics like show the product. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, I'm just going to give you a brief overview of who we are. And I'm like, show <laughs> the product. <laughs> then they'd be like, okay, now that I've given you over who we are, I'm going to tell you about our competitors. I'm like, show. <laughs> and it was like, you know, empty can makes the most noise. The people who had product to show um, did really well because, hey, they uh, had product to show. And the people who didn't, you know, it was like they talked about everything but showing their product. Well, I sure, remember, in, I, yeah, exactly. I remember that was one of the fundamental rules in my creative writing class was show, don't tell. Yeah. You know, describe, don't say the character's smart. Show the character in a, in, a, in a scene being smart. Yes. And, um, it's like in the perfect example of that is like the show House. They don't say, oh, this guy has an IQ of 200. They just show him being twice as smart as all the other uh, surgeons. You know, just playing games right. with them. Exactly. And uh, you are more impressed because you feel like you've earned it. Right. So now doing that must have been grueling because I remember – Joe coming back to the place we were, and I'm, I'm sitting back working on it, and he and, I, and the other guy would be you know, going for yet another round of reviews, and you would be there all day with startup yep. after startup after startup. And some of them, you'd have, you would have to come back again because they were still screwing up. Yeah. And that must have been absolutely grueling. Was it, for like days of that, it must have been like, the, like was it, it was. Uh, American Idol yeah. or something? <laughs> it basically, I mean, the, the, I'll tell you the toughest part of it was that the people who were willing to you know, at least admit that they could possibly make their presentations better. Like those folks were great. The problem was there were some folks who they were insistent on not taking any advice. And um, we had one that was really interesting. It was um, TrueCar, and it was like a really great entrepreneur, uh, Scott Painter down here in LA. And I'm kind of friendly with him and he's a really nice guy, but he insisted on doing this metaphor like about chocolate, you know, and he's like, you know, it's life is like chocolate. And you did that. And I was just like, this is not Forrest Gump. Like, you know, just I want the true car is such a cool thing. It shows you the price people are paying for the car you want to buy in your neighborhood, you know, not like the dealer price, not like the list price, but what act people actually paid. Like, how do you get that information? That's awesome. And um, he, so anyway, he's, he says, you know, you're right. Okay, fine. I'll make it shorter. So he makes it down to a minute. Then I'm like, you know, really? Like, let's try to make it like 30 seconds. You know, can you just say it in a sentence or two and get people to the product because it's so beautiful and just like basically begging him. And he <laughs> right. finally like does it. And then we get to the conference. We get on stage. He talks for two and a half minutes about chocolate. Oh, and, so <laughs> and then runs out of time to talk about true car, and I got to and I got to stop them, you know. God. But that that happens. That's just like Simon Cowell and American Idol. I mean, you'd think that these people, after watching the show again and again, they they would start to believe the advice of these people, these panelists, but they never do. They always think that they know best, right? Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't presume I know best as to like what the business is, you know, or how to run the business or the vision, or you know, obviously that's the entrepreneur's business and their team, but there are some basic heuristics to being on that stage and you know the audience is you know got internet access they got their laptops they got their 
Blackberries and iPhones. I mean, if you don't capture their attention immediately um, and get inside the product and keep it moving for five minutes, you're, you're going to lose them. And I, I've seen it happen to people and people with good products. But you look at somebody like Mint uh, or uh, Red Beacon or Yammer. I mean, really tight, tight presentations. Those are the winners of each three years. But even Fitbit and other folks, you know. Uh, power set all had very tight presentations well, one of the things that we were thinking about that we could do with this show because there's there's you've got a lot of outlets about your sort of um startup wisdom and startup knowledge yep we were thinking maybe we could ask a little bit more about uh jason what makes jason tick yeah sure you invest in 20 startups your ceo of maholo founding the launch conference managing hundreds of staff into high stakes poker whoa, whoa, whoa. J- justin you forget this weekend which is another huge endeavor and <laughs> yeah, you got point. the open what, what's it the uh, the open, open angel, angel for yeah. open angel yeah, for exactly. i mean you're forgetting a sum the list is freaking endless right it's all a huge amount of responsibility in jason's list yeah. that in and of itself is a, is a publishing effort so yeah. like how do you how do you stay grounded and not get overwhelmed um, I don't. I'm overwhelmed right now, actually. I was just <laughs> talking to my wife about that over vacation. And I said, you know, I think I've finally done it. She's like, what? I was like, I've bitten off more than I can chew. <laughs> I have too much to do. <laughs> um, I literally have, uh, you know, taken on too much at this point. And I am uh, in need of help. And I've uh, put a CEO in charge of this weekend. And um, the launch conference, uh, I will be able to pull off and it will be great. Uh, we got 10 of the great companies picked, but I'll be honest, I am uh, having to throttle myself and stop my ADD company creation uh, because Mahalo is just booming right now. I got 105 Mahalo employees and it's making a lot of money and we're launching 4.0 of it. And that's going to be on January 25th at the DLD conference in Munich uh, in Germany. And uh, I frankly have a little too much on my plate. And, you know, uh, I've also got a daughter now, too. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with her. I'm good at delegating at this point in my career, you know, after doing a bunch of startups. Uh, And I'm good at creating culture at my companies. So I focus on product and culture and hiring. And if I do that, I, I can scale. Uh, and if I trust the people I work with. And so in all the companies, that's, that's basically what I do. And I don't do the things um, you know, that I don't need to do. I, just, I have a, a, a certain philosophy of running startups, which is I focus on the things that matter. And the things that don't matter, I let other people focus on. In my perception, you know, they do matter, but they don't What can't me. you let go of? Uh, product I can't let go of. Um, that's a in, in that's an increasingly uh, agitated issue uh, in all of my companies. Is the sort of relentless iteration and quality stuff I try to do um, with people. I, I basically can't help myself. I have to. Um, I have to really get the quality level to where I like it uh, or else I get really OCD about it. Uh, So on this weekend, we just had a, we had like a, we had somebody who was just like not an Uber and this is where culture comes in. We had somebody just like wasn't Uber diligent about the quality of the audio, the quality of the video, the quality of the lighting. And they just always were making excuses of why this wasn't this way and this wasn't this way. And we didn't have the budget to do this. And I was like, I don't really buy that. You know, like I, you could, there are people doing like podcasts like you guys are doing and they sound perfect. And we've got five people who are technical here and oh, I'm not a light person, you know, I'm like, well, neither figure am I, out. but figure it. Yeah. yeah. You need to learn that. Effing figure that out. Yes. Yeah. And it just, so finally we basically got rid of the guy and then all of a sudden, boom, quality goes up. Uh, and so the same thing with all the projects is I just focus on the, what's on stage 
basically. So at the TechCrunch 50 conferences, I focused on what was on stage. You know, I, uh, largely I picked the companies. Large, 100% I prepared them. You know, Arrington wasn't involved in preparing them. Um, really. And, uh, I did most of the stage moderation, in fact, because Mike didn't like to be on stage, uh, all that much. And so the uh, consumer, the consumer facing aspect of all your businesses is your real passion. I, I, I really like where, where that consumption happens. And even, you know, weblog, one of the reasons weblog Inc was a perfect business for me was because, you know, I, I, it, it suited my ADD tendencies where, okay, we got Engadget up and running. Engadget's working really good. I've got a great team there. Let's do Autoblog. Okay, that's really good. Let's do Joystick. Okay, let's do, you know, Cinematical. Let's do TV Squad. And, you know, I just love the idea of like every couple of weeks building a new brand, building a new team uh, and trying to get it to scale. And then going back to the other ones that were at scale and saying, how do we make this bigger? Um, and that's been what's fun, frankly, about Mahalo is... We're going to pivot the entire company on January 25th, um, and you know we're doing really well. But I just haven't talked about it for the past year because I didn't want to clue people into what was really working for us. But um, you know, I basically people are like, oh, you don't talk about Mahalo anymore. I'm like, I've been heads down in the laboratory, uh, right. you know. And uh, well, you've, I think- you've pivoted, you've pivoted a number of times already in Mahalo, right? Could you maybe take us through the the journey um, of where Mahalo started as an idea and how you've evolved it at least to this point? Yeah. And also why, kind of why those pivots happened. Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I, when I was at um, AOL, after selling weblogs Inc. to them, I just watched uh, the search space like a hawk because we were buying search companies like Truvio and uh, AOL was one of the larger, you know, like I guess number three or four in terms of, number four in terms of search traffic. And that was a big part of their business. Um, and it essentially was... <clears throat> I believe, you know, I didn't have access to the financials exactly, but it was a very profitable business because we didn't actually uh, make search results. We used Google's. Uh, we just put a wrap around them. But what I realized was um, you couldn't actually tell the difference between a Google search result and a Yahoo search result. They were all very similar. Um, and they all had probably two or three, sometimes four results out of 10 that I would consider um, lower quality content, if not spam. And so when looking at that as an entrepreneur, I said, wow, there's an opportunity. How could you get those out? And I said, oh, just use a human, right? Because I had a large-scale workforce at Weblogs Inc., 500 bloggers. So that was how the idea of human-powered search came along. I was just trying to figure out for AOL how to make it better. Now, AOL wasn't ready to do it, so uh, I talked to the folks over at Sequoia, and I said, here's my idea. Look at these three search results. And I showed them a delicious result. I mean, and they were – this had the logos taken off, so I just showed them a list of links from delicious for – Kauai, the island in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I showed them a hand-curated list by myself, and I showed them Google's results, and I said, which one's better? And uh, they pointed to mine. I turned it over and said, mahalo. Uh, I did it again for another topic, did it again for another topic, and all three times it came up, mahalo. <clears throat> and they said, how'd you do that? I said, it's very simple. I took out these three errors, and I moved these two up, and I added this one because I know that you know, this is a really good uh, site. And we started building it, and it turns out human-powered search makes things 20%, 30% better. Uh, and actually, I don't know if you've seen, but the last two months has been all this talk about, oh, my God, you know, Google search results are terrible. Right, right. We, yeah, because um, Gabriel Weinberg from DuckDuckGo put up a very interesting article that got on the front page of Hacker News, and actually yeah. we were just talking to him about that on Saturday. So Yeah, there's, yeah. Th- there's one every, every year. There's about five of these that go down. And it turns out, um, I think a lot of people are, uh, you know, have this realization like I did. Uh, and at that time, actually, Jimmy Wells and I both had it. So you had two guys who were, you know, had, 
accomplished a couple of things who both had the same idea. He did Wikia search, you know, was taking a wiki approach. I was doing it with a you know, more blogger approach. Uh, he quit after, I don't know, less than a year. Um, and we always thought, you know, search results with some content would be a good thing. And I had done some research on Naver in Korea. But <clears throat> making something that's 30 or 40% better than Google or 20% better than Google um, essentially means nobody cares. Uh, and mm-hmm. you can look at the list of people circa 2007, 2008, who, uh, you know, tried to make a better Google uh, and improve search. And it includes everybody from Ask.com spending hundreds of millions of dollars to not, to basically get out of the search business to uh, cool, cool. How did you ever pronounce that? C-U-I-L? Cool, cool. Yeah, cool. cool, or cool. cool. Even cool. having a name that you can't pronounce is cool. just nuts, but anyway. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, that thing tanked. Uh, Hackia was another one mm-hmm. um, that was doing sort of semantic search. PowerSet got bought, never really released a product. Uh, they, so, wait, they were at TechCrunch 50s, weren't they? Yeah, they launched and then they got bought a couple months later by uh, Microsoft. And that, you know, I'm sure some of that semantic stuff somewhere inside of Bing, but essentially never became a viable business. Search Me was another one. I mean, that was also backed by Sequoia with, I don't know, $30, $40 million, maybe more. And so basically anybody who tried failed. Uh, I'm sensing a pivot. Well, yeah. And I, we looked at it and we said, wow, you know, we uh, have been including a little bit of content on our pages and some of them are ranking. I'm like, yeah, well, I know SEO. I know how to rank pages. Um, just make them better than the other ones that are in the top 10 and you rank. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and so I always wanted to have a Q&A service in there as well because I always saw these things sort of merging, search and content and Q&A. And uh, that started to work really well. And then, you know, about a year ago, I was like, you know, we got to a couple of million uniques, uh, this is two years ago maybe, and making a little bit of money, but it's not breaking out, you know, and it's pretty obvious the writing's on the wall that you can't, although there is spam in Google search results, people route around them. So the, what I realized was, holy cow, I made an error in judgment. We actually thought that because we found a technical problem that there was actually a human problem, you know? Uh, right. It turns out, Every day we do searches and we ourselves route around the spam. We can actually tell very yeah. quickly what is spam, what's not, by the, by the design of the site. If you load the page and it's just all ads and no content, you just hit the back key and you're done in two or three seconds. Now, it's a total waste of time when you think about hundreds of millions of people doing that all day long or all week long or all month long. But because it's not like they have to do it for an hour – they do it for you know 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute max, and they find the content they need and they move on with their lives. So I sort of equate it to like pollution in a city. Like if there's a little pollution in Shanghai or Japan, in Tokyo or in you know New York or Los Angeles, they're great cities to live in. So people will say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with a little pollution uh, or a little congestion, whatever it is. So <clears throat> essentially, um, we looked deep at what we had learned, and this is, I think, what you know I've learned about pivoting. Pivoting is really about looking deeply at what you've learned, not what you failed at as so much as to what you've learned, because failure and learning are, you know, it's two sides of the same coin. Uh, if you failed, you've learned. So we failed at hu- did we did we even fail at human powered search? No, we succeeded. It just was such a modest success. Yeah, you just you just didn't succeed enough. <clears throat> Precisely, and so okay. Well, we can cross that off the list of what we're trying to accomplish. And then I said, well, what are we trying to accomplish? And then I said, oh, I'm trying to build a billion-dollar business in the search space and make searching easier. And I said, is that really what I'm trying to do? And I had to think, wait a second. That's a goal. That's not like really the mission. The mission is to really help people get an answer to what they want to do. And, the, and then, so then I just made a list. Like, what helps people get an answer? Okay, content, uh, Q&A thread, 
sometimes. Um, a social network, like a message board forum or something, uh, which is like a Q&A thread, same thing. Uh, and then something spectacular happened over the three or f- three years since we, we started, or almost four now, uh, four in June, was that uh, YouTube became a place where people learned how to uh, do things. And video mm-hmm. became huge, right? Uh, and so we, we looked at all the top pages we had, and we, Mahalo had, you know, whatever, 12 million uniques a month. We have a lot of top pages. So if you type how to play guitar uh, into Google, we're number one or two or three, uh, depending on what country and where you're coming from. And so he said, well, if we're number one for how to play guitar, why not uh, uh, add you know a bunch of videos there on how to play each chord? And we did, and it worked. And that was a year ago, <laughs> and now we mm-hmm. made seven hundred made seven hundred videos last week, and I've got dozens and dozens of video editors putting videos on our pages, and wow. we are going to rebrand on the twenty fifth or so to make Mahalo a place where you can learn anything. Okay, uh, can, so, can I take a back? Can we back one second there? I just want to yeah. ask about that. So you built a studio for this week in, and is this mm-hmm. studio sort of um, working also as a studio to shoot these videos? Yes, exactly. I basically i got i got the video bug a year and a half ago when I start, Kevin Pollock started doing his show and I started doing mine um, and you know just started experimenting with it and it became clear to me people you know in a in in over, almost an overwhelming majority of cases if you think about learning something it's just easiest to watch a video yeah and I, you know I, I I rattle my brain like what is an instance for where you know, I want to do something other than watch a video to learn how to do something, and it was really hard to find them. Uh, in most cases, that, that's pretty much the best you can do. There's just obviously some, some limitations, like it costs a lot of money to do video, so you have to figure out how to do it intelligently. But Leo Laporte figured out how to do it with This Week in Tech, uh, so I give him a lot of credit. And obviously, the inspiration for This Week in uh, the entire network um, was you know half Leo and half Weblogs Inc. When I first started hearing about Jason Calacanis and the Jason Calacanis story, I kind of thought that you were a media guy who turned into a tech guy. Um, but now I'm thinking you're a media guy who turned into a tech guy who's turned into a media guy because you're just very media focused again. Yeah, I, you know, I've always been good at, oh, well, I don't give myself any credit, but I, I've always been, um, I've always worked in both places. And, I, you know, the intersection of the two is where things get interesting. So, um, you know, right now it's video and Q&A is you know, really interesting intersection. So, uh, and then I saw something called the Khan Academy, you know, um, six months ago. And I don't know if you guys are aware of Khan Academy. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, and, that's a very cool experiment, I think. Or not yeah, I was like, cool well, effort or whatever. I would say it's gone from an experiment to an effort. Yeah, that'd probably be a nice way of saying it. And so when I saw it as an experiment, I said, hmm, this is incredibly dorky. And very compelling. Like, (laughs) this dude is teaching math, and he's got a nice voice, and he has his, you know, Wacom tablet or whatever it is, you know, as the video. So he's, I feel like I'm in school again, but I can click when I want to listen to the lesson and pause it if I don't understand something and play it back. Wait a second. This is pretty compelling. And I said, wait, if you added this to a topic page and put a Q&A on it, and sure enough, they put questions underneath it, like a little you know, essentially a message board underneath it. Um, I mean, a Q and A, a Q and A service is in general is generally a more sophisticated or refined, um, a more tuned message board or, or comment section. And uh, I think that that's the the future of learning. And then I started thinking, well, what's the what's the Wikipedia or Google of learning? And I did a lot of searching, and I can't find it. 
And that to me yeah. seems like a huge opportunity. And there's people trying to make that play, like Video Jug and then those kind of companies, but no one's kind of really hit the sweet yeah, spot. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, nobody's. Yeah, no, Video Jug seems to be like some entertainment content and some how-to content. It's sort of a mixture. It's Howcast in New York, but we're not right. doing just video. You have to realize what what my vision is to keep doing some comprehensive search with content, with Q&A, and with video. Because I think if you put it all together and somebody can watch a video um, on how to you know, make an apple pie, and then they can ask a follow-up question or they can read a discussion that's already occurred, uh, that's a pretty rich experiment. experience. Are you also going to have the bullet points? Because that's one thing I always loved about Maholo. I love the, the fast facts with the bullet yeah, points. Still it just doing gets that. you straight into yeah. that. And the new design is sort of designed around video and um, you know, Q&A. And the, the, a lot of people, a lot of the criticism I've heard of Mahalo and uh, I myself have is, wow, you know, the design is not good enough. And it's really hard when you're trying to, I mean, if you're trying to do search, if you look at a Google search result, it's really ugly, right? It's like a mess now. It right. used to be really clean. Like here's 10 blue links. Now they're like, oh, here's a little social and here's a little news and here's a little, you know, one box information. I mean, it's just getting more and more cluttered and weird looking. Uh, and then you look at Bing, same thing. And, uh, you know, Huffington Post, it's like they bolted a bunch of stuff on there. It's almost like uh, if you if you have to blend all these different media types together, images, question and answer threads, links, news, tweets, it's really hard to do it in one seamless way that makes it designed uh, in a beautiful uh, way. And actually, that's what mm. I worked on for the past six months on Mahalo 4.0. And when you see it, you're like, wow, this looks like a search result or a topic page that Steve Jobs would make. And that's exactly what I sort of challenged my team with was, uh, let's make like the minimalist, you know, clean looking page that Steve Jobs would make if he was designing a search engine uh, with, you know, Q&A and content as part you, you of it. Get your, uh, you get your product designers to sit in a room and for five minutes visualize themselves as Steve Jobs and then say, okay, now go make it happen. Actually, I fired the product designers, uh, the product managers, <laughs> and I fired the design team um, at Mahalo. Um, oh, did you? Wow. Basically, I just I, I eliminated the function, I should say. Um, basically, how, how do you feel about publicly saying something like that, saying that you fired people? I didn't really fire people. I eliminated the positions, I should say. Uh, I just I misspoke. I mean, I, I basically eliminated the positions. Uh, you know, I in some ways, you know, do I feel bad about having to change the business? Yes, but you know, these were talented people who will land on their feet, and I gave them tons of runway, and um, you know, they can always use me as a reference, and we're still friends. So it's uh, you know, well, it's not, it's it's, um, it's like you have to be ruthless in making the right decisions, right? It's just that you be respectful and you know, yeah, people you work L with. Listen, if I if I fired somebody because you know they did something wrong or they're an idiot, um, <laughs> you know, or they didn't work hard <laughs> enough, I tell them, yeah, I'm firing right. you because. I don't think that you're a hard worker. I tell them because I sort of feel like it's my, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like it's my obligation to tell somebody if they're stupid or they're not hardworking. And it's really my fault if I hire somebody like that, or I can't inspire somebody to be hardworking, but I don't really have that problem too often. Um, when I do, it's a big mess. <laughs> uh, that brings up a, a little, a reminder of that post that you made about, um, developer driven uh, culture. Yeah. No, actually be, having kids and, uh, building a startup at the oh, same time. Can we, can we get to that one sec, Justin? I just want to ask yeah, you since sure. we're on okay. the developer, because yeah, well, that's definitely going to be an interesting um, yeah. thread of discussion. But you wrote a great, uh, I guess, uh, I don't email about how after speaking with a couple of the top engineers at Facebook, how you came to a new understanding about how they were making, how they were iterating so quickly. And yeah. I'm sure not a lot of people have read that 
that email. So could maybe give us a recap about that and how you've integrated that integrated those new understandings into what you're doing. Yeah, I mean basically, you know, I've I've been somewhat critical, like many people have, about how Facebook has treated their user base, flip flopping their privacy settings and, you know, um other you know, lawsuits they've settled around privacy. It's a big, long list. Um, and so I met some guys who were, you know, developers there, and they no longer work there, but it was talking to them. And I said, oh, wow, this is really awkward. Um, I must be like the most hated man in, uh, you know, uh, at Facebook, <laughs> if you guys even read what I write. And they were like, actually, no, you know, it's, you'd be surprised. Um, you know, we actually, you know, talk about what you've written and we take it to heart. We actually we respect your opinion. I said, oh, that's very nice of you to say, you know. Um, and they said, but, you know, and so I said to them, I said, um, well, what do you think about, you know, what you, you know, the privacy stuff you guys have done or whatever? He goes, well, you know, we, for the early years, we didn't have any product management or any process. Like the people who did the, uh, you know, Facebook pictures and photos, they just made that like over a week or two and published it to the site. They pushed the changes. They didn't even ask or show it to anybody. And I was like, oh, well, that would explain why you can tag other people in your photos because a developer just thought that's a cool technical feature and didn't think, wow, that breaks somebody's privacy. Like you have your picture taken by somebody else. They put it, your name on it, and then it shows up in people's feeds. Well, what if I don't, you know, uh, and the classic example, this kind of things have happened. Like somebody's gay and they, you know, they're at a, Halloween party and they're, you know, with their gay friends and they take a picture and then somebody tags them and now it comes up on their, they're a teacher and it comes up on their feed and their, the parents or students are on that. Now they see some private picture of them at a Halloween party and, uh, they, it's pretty, it's pretty clear their lifestyle choice. Yeah. And you know, but we, we live in the real world where maybe, you know, some people have, are bigots or whatever, and, or maybe you just want privacy and not to share certain parts of your private life, which is understandable. And, um, it could negatively impact people. And that kind of stuff happens all the time with Facebook. And, uh, yeah. you know, that wasn't done out of malice or in some huge Dr. Evil kind of way. It was done because of speed and no process. And so it just got me thinking like, wow, why is Facebook winning uh, everything, essentially. Why are they doing so well? Oh, they just let the developers go wild. And they think, well, whatever happens, we can just uh, apologize, do a settlement, or fix it. Uh, well, when you have a competitor like that in the space, like we all do, it changes everything. You know, like it's it's like somebody who just doesn't care, you know, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to try things. And so for that, you know, I don't know that that's the lesson you want to teach your kids of like, you know, you can buy your way out of any problem. Uh, but that's sort of, I think, the way they look at it in terms of the worst case scenario. And I think out of the best case scenario, they look at it as, uh, you know, hey, we fail and our developers are engaged in trying things. And so I looked at my process at Mahalo and I said, my developers are not engaged enough. I mean, they're engaged in the technology and the code, but they're not engaged in the product. And I said, as long as we have product managers here, they'll always defer to them. As long as they have wireframes, they'll always follow them. So I said, no more wireframes, no more product, no more in-house design. Uh, we'll do all of that outside of the building. And, uh, Boy, did that change. I mean, people fought me on it, and I was like, wow, uh, for a very short period of time. But I, was, I told one of the developers, like, are you actually fighting me for giving you more control over your destiny and letting <laughs> you make more choices? And they're like, yeah, that's kind of insane. I'm like, I want you guys to make the decisions as to what you want in the product 
and just build it so you think it's cool and you would use it. Which if you look at a product like Quora, which is folks out of Facebook, is uh, frankly better than Mahalo Answers, our Q&A product. And our Q&A product was the best thing on the market when it came out. It's much better than Yahoo Answers or anything else out there. Uh, but boy, did Quora leapfrog us. And now I've got my developers studying Quora and they're leapfrogging it in this January 25th version. Um, cool. But uh, it takes did the developers you, did, being engaged. Did you have to um, get rid of any developers that weren't able to make that transition? Or were they all able to after a couple of um, weeks of rethinking well, about what they could do? I told everybody, uh, it was actually interesting you mentioned that, one of my leaders said, well, what if we have developers who are not willing to do this? And then I said, we have the wrong developers. And he says, does that mean you're going to fire the whole organization? I said, if I have to, but I don't think I'll have to because we have very talented people and who wouldn't want to have more control of their destiny and who wouldn't want to think about problems and um, you know execute on them. And they're like, well, some people, I'm like, Okay, bring them to me, and I will talk to them. Um, you know, I always feel like, you know, in business, a lot of times, people talk in abstractions. You know, like some people, or like the, uh, some of our people. You know, and you have this like in business too. Like, right. I, you know, some people are upset about the coffee machine. You know, and I'm like, okay, you're coming to me about that. Who, who, you? Well, no, <laughs> not me exactly, but there are people who have been talking about it. I'm like, oh, and they voted you representative, but you don't care about this issue? Well, I'll tell you what. Go bring those people into a room, and if it's important enough for them to talk to the CEO about it or the president or whoever, as he handles the coffee machine, the front desk, uh, or the office manager, um, then we'll discuss it. But I, I, I always tell people, don't speak for anybody else. Speak for yourself. You know, you, you know that, that raises, raises an interesting uh, issue. I, I remember reading about... Uh, when when organizations reach the 100 mark, it becomes a different organization because then there isn't the ability to know each and individual every individual. Yep. Do first of all, what do you think about that? Because now that you're growing an organization beyond that, I, I guess it sounds like Weblong Zinc was substantially larger than that. What do you think about that? And do you do anything in particular in terms of like I don't know, communicating or spending time with? each individual person over at least once a month or, or how does that even work for you? Yeah, it's, um, it becomes more challenging as you get bigger. I think somewhere around maybe 40 people, 50 people is when, uh, you can't really have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with everybody. Um, it's just, it's too much. Um, and so, um, what you have to do is you have to define your culture explicitly, uh, make a culture document essentially, Mm -hmm. which is what Mahalo did. Uh, and I, I, I got all this stuff. Uh, I cribbed it all from Tony Shea. Uh, but if you go to blog.mahalo.com, uh, you will see uh, our team blog and us playing softball and corny stuff like that. And then one of the, um, you know, uh, topics up there is culture and we have a culture document that says these are the 10 words uh, that are how we describe ourselves focused dedicated resourceful resilient fast bold precise collaborative gregarious and quixotic and we made this list with my top five to seven lieutenants uh, in a meeting saying if we had to describe our best people what would it be what are our core values and we just come up with 10 words and we um we, uh, when we hire people, we hire them for that, those 10 words. So I say to somebody, you know, how um, resourceful are you? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm tremendously resourceful. I say, okay, if you had a problem in some piece of code and, uh, you know, you, you couldn't solve the problem and uh, what would you do next? And they say, well, I would ask my coworkers. Okay, they can't solve the problem. Well, I would search Google. Okay, there's nothing on Google. 
Um, uh, I would look in a book. Okay, nothing in the book. And I just, <laughs> I just keep saying there's nothing in that. And I, I don't care. I just want to see how far they can go. And I mean, I've had people give me a dozen really good ideas, and I've had people give me three. Right. I've literally had people. Yeah. Does anyone ever say I just make something different? Mm, yeah, uh, I think that that's come up. You know, like I try a different approach. I would nuke it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, like some people get incredibly granular. They're like, well, you know, there are IRC channels where people hang out. So I would go into the <laughs> IRC channel and I would ask anybody if they'd done this. And then if they didn't, I would ask anybody if they knew anybody who used that platform. And then if I found that platform, I would look for an event where people went to. And then I would look for people discussing that event on a message board. And then there's Stack Overflow. So I'd probably put a question on Stack Overflow. Um, but then if they wasn't, it didn't get answered on Stack Overflow, I would probably just email Joel from Software directly and ask him if he knew somebody. And if not, I could put something up on this poster and I'd, on Hacker News, I'd ask it on, you know, and this, you know, the funny thing is, to, to the, in answer to that question, I've never really encountered a problem that wasn't surmountable as, as a developer, which is kind of weird. Well, here's the thing. Um, the, that, you, you are correct. Uh, given an infinite amount of time and resources, oh, there's almost nothing that can't be done with the exception of life extension at this point. And, and, tra- <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Dr. Kurzweil, and that may be eliminated in another yeah, 20 exactly. years. Exactly. Or, or uh, beaming, uh, being, beaming us down to the planet or whatever. Um, right. So, you know, g- given that, you know, it's, it's really just a test to see, how, you know, how far they can go and what their thinking is. I mean, I've had, I've had people I wanted to hire or p- people they wanted me to hire here and, uh, for IT positions or something like that, and they just they they never got to the point of like I'm going to swap out the router. I'm like, did you ever think about reinstalling the software? Or like, they don't even say reboot the router. I'm like, okay, that's like 101. <laughs> I was an IT guy in 90, 1990 when we rebooted the router. But anyway, yeah, the, uh, way I, the way I always say it is like, look, if if the front door is closed, I'm going into the back door. If the back door is closed, I'm going through a window. If the window is closed, I'm going through the damn chimney. But I'm getting in the damn house, you know. And I think that's the attitude you have to have if you want to solve a problem, right? You don't have to go through a sort of traditional way of getting in, but you can get in that house if you want to get in that house badly enough. Yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, so we just try to find those people. And once you find those people, they feed off each other. And if somebody's not the kind of person, you know, the, the, if somebody doesn't match the culture or, or their lives change to a point at which they don't want to be part of the culture, we can just have that uh, frank discussion with them. And it, it sort of acts as a sort of Ten Commandments, you know, as this grounding document, you know, that was put forth that we all agreed upon. And, and, and then um, people who come in after, I don't have to meet them or tell them the culture. They know the culture because in their interviews, three or four people they met talked about culture and asked them questions around it. Hey, JR, um, I've, got some, uh, I've got some questions that I'd love to ask. I'm, I know you do, and I think we may actually have to pivot this interview a little bit to ask some of those questions. Are you all That's right fine. With that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why don't you go first, and then maybe hand one, for, and I'll take one. Go ahead. Okay, sure. So the one that I've been dying to ask, Jason, is um, the venture world is all about the big exit, and God forbid anyone who starts a lifestyle business. So my question is, do you encourage uh, young entrepreneurs to think of the venture route, or do you prefer to promote bootstrapping? Uh, great question. It depends on really um, a number of factors, uh, the first of which is, uh, do you, can, can you even qualify to raise venture capital? You know, it's, um, you, you need to have a certain type of business in order to have them be interested. If it is a dude business, they will not be interested. So you trying to land that money is futile. Um, and do you want to build something with the goal of an exit uh, eventually and build something that gets very large? Um, and if you, if, if you don't want to and can't, you shouldn't even try, uh, that doesn't mean 
that you're a failure. And this is ver- some bizarre, you know, in some bizarre way, I guess because there's a number associated with it, how much money you raise and from whom is, you know, uh, def- defines success a lot in our industry, <clears throat> when in fact it shouldn't. Uh, you know, uh, maybe your Quantcast ranking is success or your revenue, but uh, just because you raise money from a big name VC or you raise a lot of money does not make you successful. It makes you obligated uh, to uh, do very well and to work really hard. And so I think, uh, you know, I, I, I've done all three. I, you know, I built my first business, Silicon Reporter, off of my credit cards. I built the second business with angel money from Mark Cuban. Uh, which I was very thankful for his support. He's been awesome to me. And uh, I built the third business, Mahalo, with uh, you know a war chest of venture capital from the best venture capital firm, uh, according to track record and most people's opinion, uh, or one of the top ones, uh, Sequoia Capital. And they've been a delight to work with. So I've done all three. And I, if you notice, uh, I ratcheted up as I went in my career and built up success. And I and my ability to manage it, right? I mean, what's been your favorite uh, experience of of those three different types? Um, they're they're different for different reasons. Um, it, there's different things uh, that are nice. I, at this point in my career, I like having a large amount of capital in the bank, like years, because it just frees me to focus just on product um, and. Uh, people will pay attention to what you're doing, so it's sort of. Oh, it's a Sequoia company that's raised a lot of money. At least we'll take a look. You know, like everybody's right. going to take a look at what you're doing just to see if it's a train wreck or not, or just to see if it's going to work or not. Um, you know, and people said that about Mahalo, like in the beginning, like, hey, that's a terrible idea. It'll never work. Uh, and to their credit, some people were right. It, 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 it's not that it didn't work like we discussed, but it, it didn't work as much as it needed to work to break out. It may break out in the future. Um, so um, I've liked all three. You know, I, I, I can't say that um, I would be lying if I said having a lot of resources is not awesome. You know, it's really nice to be able to say, you know what, let's put a second data center up and buy a quarter million dollars worth of servers and let's make a really <laughs> fast site because I want to have one second page load times. And uh, yeah, sure, hire three people to manage our network infrastructure and uh, we'll make this into a large business and that'll be chump change someday, which is exactly what happened. But I have to tell you, there were, uh, there were, uh, moments of time when I said, wow, you know, we are burning six figures a month. Uh, I do not feel so good about this. Like, you know, being a kid who grew up, uh, you know, not poor, but maybe lower middle class, uh, you know, struggling. My parents lived month to month uh, or so. Um, I did worry, like, my God, should I be spending this much money? And then I was, oh, wait a second. They trust me. They gave me this money to do this. And this is no problem. I can do this. <laughs> um, but I, I, I like making money you know, in a business. I like revenue, and I would say uh, that is virtuous. So you, you do what you can. You do what the resources you have. I mean, that's the reality of it. If you're, if you're an independent film director and you've got no credibility, you know, make a short. And if you've made a great <laughs> short and you can raise a million dollars to make an indie feature uh, you know, or a documentary, go for it. And if you, uh, you, know, you won Sundance and now you can raise a, a bunch of money to do Black Swan or something, you know, awesome. The guy who made Black Swan also made Pie. Pie is as good a film as Black Swan. One cost 100000 to make. One probably costs $20 million to make. Hey, Justin, so I think I have a good follow-up for this. Yeah, go, um, go So, you know, actually what you're talking about uh, brings up a, a, a thread that um, Justin and I were discussing in the last couple of weeks, which is the idea of uh, applying the Y Combinator model to content development. So for instance, rather than having 30 or 40 people creating web apps and mobile apps, you have 30 to 40, two, three or four person teams creating a very low budget, I don't know, TV shows for the web 
or for mobile devices or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that as people have more and more capable iPads, iPhones, smartphones, people are going to be interested in watching shorter form stuff that doesn't have to be super high quality. They're not watching it on a 70-inch plasma, right? And as these high-def... Uh, cameras become cheaper and cheaper, and, uh, the, and the distribution channels are so cheap with YouTube and things like that, and everybody has an iPad, that why not try and create a TV series like a web TV, TV series, kind of like Pioneer One, which you've, I don't know if you've heard of them or not. But it seems like you would almost be the ideal person to do something like that, because you, you have a base studio. Did you, you, you probably didn't outline the actual model of that enough. Yeah, well, which is, okay. So the concept yeah. would be, the concept would be is like, you know, once or twice a year, you have the tryouts, right? A bunch of people apply. You get your teams together for three months. You know, they get paid a modest sum, like Y Combinator amount. You take a small chunk of change, you know, 5 or 10% of the company like Y Combinator. They spend three months developing you know, the shooting, creating little TV series, and then you have like a big demo day when you have all the media moguls and producers and showrunners yeah. show up at a big Mahalo this, uh, this weekend studios, and they see all this stuff in a certain portion <laughs> get picked up. And- he already had enough to do, Jason. Yeah, no, he's got, I, he's got um, one more thing to do. Up, I'll start that up tomorrow. Uh, no, it's a great <laughs> idea. Um, I think the only challenge there is, uh, if you think about the medium, um, you know, a website, two guys can make a website that looks just as good as 200 guys. Or gals. Right, yeah. Uh, and then you think about television. Um, it is a much more collaborative and cost-intensive uh, um, medium. So, you know, television is going through a renaissance right now, and there's so much good stuff on television between Bad Men and this and that, that I, I think um, the world may not need that right now. Um, and also between all the crowdsource stuff. But in a certain extent, what you're talking about is the Farm League uh, and uh, this weekend is the Farm League of talk shows. So, uh, you know, we have, like, um, Annie Duke wanted to do a talk show. And she just wanted to do it. And she wasn't, you know, interested in... And, and Kevin Pollack wanted to do one. And I wanted to do one. And we're not interested in waiting around for some television executive to say, okay, here's your slot, you know, right. three years later. And by the way, you have to interview this dumbass and you got to do this. And, you know, it's... Yeah, you got to cut these questions out and you have to go this length and... We're all doing our shows. They're all doing well, and we love them, and the audience loves them. So, what do we even need Hollywood for? I, you know, I think that's going to be the real revolution. Is when, yeah, you know, uh, and it's already happened with my show. You know, this week in startups has four advertisers a week. I think they pay three thousand dollars each. So it's turned into a real business. Um, you know, I do it twice a week. So how many? Uh, how many uh, people do you have? Uh, it's about a dozen. No, sorry, uh, as, uh, how many listeners? Because actually one thing we wanted to ask you about was that because we were interested at what point we'd need to grow yeah. to before we could start advertising. We have 100,000 downloads to my show on iTunes uh, in le- within like two weeks or three weeks of the, each episode. And then we just joined, uh, we just started um, uh, putting some effort into YouTube. And um, it's kind of interesting. If you go to this weekend, if you go to YouTube slash this weekend, we're part of the shows. Uh, they have a shows section, which is for people who have episodic stuff. And uh, that means you can do show. Shows can have clips. They've sort of made it into a, um, uh, you know, a whole thing. And if you look at uh, YouTube.com slash show slash this weekend startups, you'll see I'm getting, you know, uh, 2,000 people watching, 1,000, 2,000 people watching each show. But then you look at each clip, and this is long form. This is an hour and 15-minute show. But then we started doing clips, and I noticed that we haven't promoted these yet, but um, some of them have gotten 500, 1,000, or 2,000 views. So we're going to start doing clips, and then if you, you know, it might be another 10,000 people on YouTube. 
Yeah, you know, we've um, one thing that Justin and I've been talking about is so at what point we can be large enough to have advertisers, and we've one thing we've noticed <laughs> that we've been doubling in size every three months for the past year. And of course, we started at almost at zero, obviously, and we didn't have a sort of a, a you know a, a, a fan base to pull from to start, and yeah. we just went to we just doubled from 500 to 1,000 downloads of a show within a week for a discussion show. And we figure, okay, so 1,000 is not much, but if we double three, more, three or four more times and we're at, say, 10,000 you know, by the end of the year, um, by the end of next year, then we might be somewhere. Because that'll be 10,000 of, of just the most recent show. And we're also already getting 1,000 downloads per day of our back catalog. So from you, who, for someone who knows a lot about advertising dollars, I mean, where, where would we fit in that? What point would be, we become interesting or we could do something? Um, I, you'll get people, if you can get, um, um, if you can get people who are passionate in a space that is um, got big considered purchases in it, like, you know, uh, the startup space, you know, people mm -hmm. spend a lot of money on MailChimp or DNA mail. Uh, you know, these are things that cost, can cost hundreds to thousands of dollars uh, if a business uses them. Uh, it, sh it should be no pro or .co, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it it's a challenge. I don't, you know, if you're doing niche media and it's you know under a hundred thousand downloads or under fifty thousand downloads unless it's something like you know you have ten thousand dentists you may not be able to sell advertising right. um, and that's why i took a portfolio approach with weblogs inc and it was like oh we have a hit in gadget uh, oh we got another hit autoblog and actually uh, the thing that people didn't know in gadget was our biggest traffic hit autoblog was our biggest revenue hit uh, i made more money than um in gadget uh most of the time does it matter about if it's a backlog? For example, our backlog currently is, has 30,000 downloads a month. I mean, could, could we potentially prepend ads to those shows, for example? Um, I think you could. Um, there's technology to do that. I think, um, what's it called? Castfire is one that people like. Um, and I've never uh, used Castfire, but I hear good things about using it for that exact reason. Uh, but we're experimenting even, so I don't even have the answer. But if you go to This Weekend... <laughs> You'll see we did a run of network auctions. So basically, I've got two salespeople here, but we're not selling out all the inventory. Uh, in fact, we're not selling out most of it. We sell out like five or six of the shows, and the other 20 shows uh, don't. So I said, put everything into one package and sell it for 25 bucks. And uh, right now, the top bid is at, well, somebody put in a $4,927 bid, but I don't think that's real. Um, but the last bid before that was 1500 for 20 shows. So uh, we're going to basically have all 20 other shows read an ad for this person um and we got five different That's companies a good idea. yeah Honestly. i was i just thought what would google do so wait it's fifteen hundred dollars per show per advertiser no. no no what we what we decided to do was we said let's take all the 20 shows put them together if you go to thisweekend.com and you look at, it says auctions on the top right. Okay. Basically saying anything that's not sold two weeks out, put all the shows together and offer them as a package and then um let people bid on it. It's like selling cheap airline tickets, like just before the flight's about to go. All right. So um, you wrote an article a while back called uh, Can You Have a Startup and a Baby at the Same Time, essentially. Yep. And I actually wrote a follow-up piece called How I'm uh, Doing a Startup and uh, Raising Three Kids. I don't know if you knew that was this, the same. Yep. Who, 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 <laughs> if, if you knew that read, was me. Yep. Well, yeah, that's one thing we joked about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that, what was funny is... Um, Justin asked on, uh, on a show, he's like, I wonder if Calacanis knows all these points that he's interacting with are you. 
Like, they know that you're web stalking him. Right. <laughs> so I we have all aware. these kind of like these brief points of contact, but I wasn't sure if, uh, if, you had, if you had really recognized who that was. It's not just that, Jason. There's some kind of weird interference pattern going on between the world of texting and Jason Calacanis because... First of all, Jason, uh, you were the first caller on Twist. I was the first tweeter on, twi- on Twist who, who Jason answered a question to. And bizarrely, Jason has parked next to my space in LAX twice during the last year, <laughs> which is very that, strange. Fascinating. So, so on, the, uh, on the startup and kids topic, um, mm-hmm. I'd just be curious how you're balancing that now because your daughter is, what, about six months now? No, no, she's uh, 13 months. She, she broke her uh, mark in. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, boy, um, it's not easy. Uh, I'll tell you that. Um, you have to be, I, I do think it puts you at a, a distinct disadvantage uh, because you have to give up, you know, uh, a bunch of time. And, you know, there are people who don't have to give that time up. And so if you are going to do a startup, um, I would say it's advisable uh, to do it before you have kids. Um because it's difficult um, and something's got to suffer. But, um, you know, life is about sacrifices. So, I mean, it's there are people making much greater sacrifices than people in the Western world, you know, doing startup sure. companies. Um, you know, there are people who work seven days a week and never see their kids um, or have to go away for six months to war and never right. see their kids. So uh, there are people who go on two tours and they come home and they meet their 14 month old daughter. So I'd be meeting my daughter for the first time. I mean, that's the stuff makes you want to cry. So I, you yeah, know, my, I think uh, my brother, got was, uh, yeah, my, my younger brother was in Afghanistan for two different tours and yeah, he was gone for I don't know, 18 months, two years at a time and just for short breaks mm-hmm. back for a couple, you know, a week or two. So it's brutal. But what is your, um, what is sort of your day or week look like with all the stuff you have going on? I mean, do yeah, you wake up I like basically, five in the morning or how do you Yeah, do you get six all... in the morning, basically. Yeah, I wake up early in the morning and uh, hang out with my daughter for a couple of hours. I try every morning, um, you know, try to give her breakfast and hang out and play. Um, and then uh, work, work, work. And uh, hopefully, you know, a couple of nights a week at home before she goes to bed and put her to bed. Um, luckily, she's been going to bed later, so it's been working out pretty well. And my wife brings her by the office once or twice a week and have lunch with them. And um, I basically dedicate the weekends too, you know, uh, to hanging out with her. And she takes naps, so that's good. I can, I can get some work done. So I you're think, not in the you're not you're not in Mahalo office all Saturday and Sunday. You're mostly with the family and take no. a few breaks here and get work done. Yeah, I don't come to the office on the weekends. Um, I'll work, but you know, I'll do it in weird hours when I can. You know, pop in and do something. Um, you know, or even just answering a couple of emails on BlackBerry. You know, to keep people moving the ball forward. But you know, at this point in my career, I'm I'm relying on leverage through hiring great people and inspiring them and getting them the tools they need <clears throat> and the freedom they need to kick ass. I mean, that's, right. I think that's the, I, th- I think, you know, there, there's, there's um, a continuum of uh, resources that you'll have. And if you do a good job as an entrepreneur, as you get older, you get more resources, more credibility, more people will come work for you. So you can sort of leverage that. Um, <clears throat> but boy, is it hard in the early days. So I think that's why you know most people don't do entrepreneurial stuff. It's just too hard, and yeah. you, there's too many sacrifices. And you know you're doing it, but I'm I, I'm guessing you're not going to say it's easy. No, <laughs> it's it's not remotely easy. In fact, I mean it's you know I get some Sunday nights I'm just burnt out because I spent all Saturday and Sunday working. You know, and you know like last night, you know my wife looked at me. She's like, "Are you all right?" And I'm just like, "I don't. Know, I'm just <laughs> I'm just done. I'm just toast." You know, and that's yeah. on a Sunday night when you should be refreshed. So yeah, yeah I've been tough. there. Yeah, it's um, um you you know you but 
it's depending on how you uh, you know look at the world. You know, sometimes you make sacrifices, and maybe you work really hard, and when your kid's young, and you uh, can provide a better future for them. You know, uh, so. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know. This speaking for myself. I mean, I I love what I do. Um, so that that helps. Obviously, I mean, even if you love what you do, you do too much, you get you get burnt. Um, but I have to say, at least for my at least for my situation, I work at home, so I'm around my kids and wife all the time. So it's not like I'm at an office somewhere twelve hours a day, like some of these investment bankers or lawyers who never get to see their kids because they're always downtown at an office. So at least I have that benefit. But yeah, it's tough. Yeah, that's awesome. So go on, Justin. Your turn. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, just following on from um, Jason was just talking about how it was hard in the early days. Could you have achieved the same level of personal success if the internet didn't exist? And what would you have done? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I might have done well in the 60s, I think. Uh, <laughs> as a, I always thought I would have done well as a radical, you know... Agitator? I don't know, like... Yeah... Like starting like a Rolling Stone or something? Like starting a magazine like Rolling I could, Stone? Yeah, I could have seen like, you know, like um, <laughs> maybe doing a Rolling Stone type thing or being the editor of some underground paper or something like that. Or maybe maybe something even a little more anti-establishment perhaps. Uh, or maybe even making films. That does make sense actually. Yeah, I think the 60s would have been really good to me. I would have been, I kind of regret it actually. If I, if I could trade it, I, I would have a hard time... Uh, deciding between being born at the, you know, the age of the internet or the, you know, the, the 60s revolution, the counterculture revolution. Right. Well, I think you may even, you may have even have uh, written this in one of your emails. I can't remember, but it was something along the lines of opportunities happen when there's a lot of change. And there was, yeah. no, there was probably no more structural change in our society in the 60s. That was a big, big change, yeah. Um, and you know, it it wasn't so much technology; it was it it's, was almost around you know civil rights, and also maybe saying no to the way your parents thought, and maybe saying yes to a new way of thinking and looking at the world, and also copious amounts of drugs. Um, right. So, it was a, uh, it, I, you know, and, and in some ways it was a sad time because so many people just died taking drugs and, you know, a little bit too, you know, counterculture there. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, a lot, I mean, just think about like Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and that sort of whole time period when the world really needed to change in a deep, deep, substantive way. And it did. I mean, that's just, in some ways, I, it sort of feels like it trumps the iPhone. You know, you think about how, think about how like, you know, caught up we all get in the iPad and the iPhone and Robert yeah. Scoble's like, you know, Robert Scoble's, you know, holding up the iPad coming out of the Apple store and everybody's cheering. It's like, really? Is that kind of <laughs> cheering Like, no, you know, not civil rights or, you know, how about gay rights, you know, or, you know, angry birds. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo, I got three stars. You know, it's like, really? Is that what, our, what it's come down to? Wow, we are really the uh, most entitled generation. Yeah, yeah. Where life, you know, when your life gets easy enough, then that's what we focus on, right? We don't have to worry about food and shelter and things, or it's just a matter of like, how convenient is my life? Can I make it even a little more convenient? Yeah, this is ridiculous. I mean, I, this AT and T service is terrible. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, who is that guy? I can't watch uh, streaming Netflix. You know, I'm trying to stream Netflix and it's not working on my iPhone. It's like what? <laughs> You know, like, I, I think the the best the best sort of uh, little shtick on that was the guy was at Louis C.K. or something did a thing about the flying in an airplane. The it's pretty famous. Yeah. Like, everyone's seen that one about like the guys like on getting Wi-Fi 
on the airplane. Like, so they comes over on the announcer and, and Louis C.K., I guess, I think I have his name right. He's sitting next to this guy and, and it comes over the intercom, you know, well, we have Wi-Fi on this plane so you can try it out. And, and, and then like a couple minutes in, it goes down and the guy's like, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, you feel like the world owes you something that you didn't even know exists. <laughs> existed yeah, 10 exactly. minutes ago. Oh, it's just ridiculous. So, this this um, is the reason why our show's so long, Jason, because they, we do tend to meander on, in all sorts of directions. It's okay. Yeah. Okay, so I'll go on, meander. Justin. Uh, well, one, another question, just to continue on the thought experiment uh, mode. Uh, could you have bootstrapped Mahalo? No. No. Not a bootstrappable idea. Why? It's just too, too much scale. You know, when you're trying to build a service that has a footprint of teaching anybody anything or providing search results for anything, you know, the two iterations of the company, um, and both of those ideas are big sweeping ideas for everybody. If I did do it, I could do it in a vertical. As a matter of fact, some knuckleheads uh, took the idea of Mahalo and actually stole our code, uh, stole our design, and actually stole the content off the site. That's how stupid they were, and made like a health version of Mahalo where they were human curating health results and they were so stupid these idiots they um, cut and pasted the, we had a device in the beginning Mahalo top seven was like our top seven links you know hand curated as opposed to the ten blue links from Google and right. they they cut and pasted them and it, they forgot to take out the Mahalo top seven so it's like dumbasses health site knockoff of Mahalo and it says Mahalo top seven and so I got this idiot on the phone and I was like listen dude you stole our code I looked at the code they stole our code you know HTML code CSS code and I'm like and you stole our content he's like no of course we didn't I'm like here's a bunch of screenshots you're an idiot <laughs> and he's like oh well you know we're very inspired by you and you know um, you should be flattery and I said listen you know um, you stole from me and that's not cool and anytime anybody brings up your name for all eternity, I am going to tell them that you are a thief and that you stole from me. And I'm not going to take legal action from you. I'm not going to tweet it. And I'm not going to get in a big fight with you because I don't fight down, you know? So, so where, would you, where would you draw the line between inspiration and theft? Um, if you take an idea and you evolve it, you add something to it, um, that is not stealing. You know, that's iterating on it. Um, if you cut and paste a person's code and their content and put it on your site and say it's yours, that is stealing. Uh, so, you know, when Kevin did Dig, nobody said, oh, you're stealing the delicious top, you know, most popular list, although that was part of his inspiration, as was Slashdot. Uh, and um, I think if you add something substantial to it, uh, people understand it's not stealing. I mean, when Facebook came out, it was enough original concepts there that people didn't say, you stole MySpace. Same thing with MySpace off of Friendster and Friendster off of Six Degrees. But did they steal from the, the Winklevoss, the Winklevoss brothers? I don't, know if it was, I don't know if you can steal a generic idea. Yeah. To be, I don't know enough about the case, to be honest, what the case law is. But he definitely, um, it's pretty clear from the um, apologies he's made uh, that he would do things differently when he was younger and the chat transcripts that he was a um, at best precocious, at worst um, uh, a fraud. <laughs> and right. you know, in terms of his relationship with them, I mean, he's obviously the real deal when it comes to building a business. But I mean, uh, I think that's why they settled because it feels like fraud when you um, tell somebody you're building something and then you don't build it specifically so that you can build a competing service that beats them. Yeah. 
So I'd like to ask you a couple of, uh, I don't know, these are kind of off-topic questions, but I think they'd be kind of interesting. And I heard that uh, you were a martial artist. I'd be curious, what uh, what's the story with that? What do, what do you, what yep. kind of martial arts uh, do taekwondo. you practice? Taekwondo, um, okay. which I started when I was a kid. Yeah. And you still do it now? I was uh, 15. Yep, still do it. What still are you, a, like a, are you like a third-degree black belt or something? Fifth degree. Fifth degree black belt. Wow. And do yep. you compete tournaments or do you just kind of go and work out with at the gym with other I work out Taekwondo? With, yeah, I work out with other Taekwondo guys. Um, I'll do a tournament once a year. Um, you know, uh, not full contact, uh, but just point system. And uh, I did better when I was younger, <laughs> but uh, I like to compete anyway. And it just for the experience, it's fun. Right. That's pretty cool. And, um, you know, along the lines of the exercise stuff, I, I remember you were doing fat blogging for a while. And I thought yeah, that was kind of yeah. interesting. And it actually seemed people to catch a little it. wind. I mean, yeah, a lot of people were following oh, along. And I have to say, I mean, I wasn't losing, you know, trying to lose weight at the time. But I, I did find it kind of inspiring um, to be sort of following along with somebody and hearing what you were doing and trying and learning. And uh, and so you lost, I think you yeah. lost some weight. Well, I, actually, just tell us about it. Yeah, well, I lost how much like 20 pounds. Yeah. I lost about 20 in, pounds. I, I, yeah, when I was doing Weblog Sync, I just got really fat because I was just working so much and eating chicken parmesan every night for dinner and two slices of pizza and just put on like 25 pounds and I wound up knocking off 20 and I still have that 20 off, but I still have 10 to go. And so it's a little bit of a struggle. I like food <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, you're eating food. right now. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. I'm, I'm having holes in my mouth for my throat. Oh, um, that's never. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. If, it, if the audience hears me uh, sucking on a holes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, in another, if I had more time, I, that could be a huge business. And I think you see now, or I'm seeing a lot of people doing, uh, social game dynamics for weight loss and health. Um, and I've seen a lot of pitches for this. So I think it's going to get quite popular, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, now, why did you stop? Were you just too busy with other stuff or what happened? I mean, too you busy started, with the, you just stopped, too busy with other stuff, yeah. Because you kind of stopped yeah. blogging around the same time, I think, and you just said, all right, I yeah, had I just got blogging. bored with blogging. And it was like, it was more like, I felt like with blogging, I would, you know, I would write something that I you know, cared about and that, uh, I put some effort into, you know, almost like as if you were prepared a beautiful meal and, you know, you picked out the, you know, the fish you were going to do very specifically and chopped up the herbs and, you know, marinated it and grilled it to perfection and put it on a beautiful plate that you had bought from, uh, you know, crate and barrel. And then, you know, some beautiful glasses with lemonade and, uh, set up the table outside with the perfect tablecloth and, then you go put it down and like six people would like come up to the picnic table and like puke on it, take a piss. Some guy would take a dump on a seat and you're just like, what the F just happened? Like, I just made this right. beautiful dinner for us all to enjoy and everybody was going to have, have a wonderful, elegant time. And three mental patients just showed up and defecated on their seats like or puked or started masturbating or something. It's like, this is disgusting. That's what happened in, blo in blogging. It's just like anytime somebody intelligent says something interesting and puts a thought out into the world, the most mentally disturbed or drunk or both or haters show up to pronounce themselves. And I was like, I have a pretty long list of haters. So every time I publish something, like literally, I don't know, f the same five people would post 10 different comments under the same IP addresses. Oh, uh, wow. And like... They would get into conversations with themselves sometimes, like 
they would post something like, oh, you know, Jason is so terrible. And then the person, then the person right back, no, you're so wrong. He's like, he's actually really good, except for these five things that are really terrible about him. I'm like, oh okay, you're the same person in the same IP address wow. having a conversation with yourself in my comment thread under a picture of the Bulldogs. Really? <laughs> something that we, we found out is that maybe, maybe this is different for blogging versus audio, but we've kind of found out that because people can actually hear our voice and hear the intentions behind our voice, it kind of yeah. makes a difference, and we don't really get very many negative. In fact, I'm not sure we get any negative comments. Well, thus far, we can remember I, that our scale is small, so it's that's not true, as big yeah, an audience. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 there is something to that. Tone is lost in blogging or any writing, uh, uh, depending on how uh, good a writer you are uh, and also how mentally disturbed the <laughs> commenter is. <laughs> I actually just feel like all the comment, I mean, if you look at the TechCrunch comments now, it's just like, it, it's, there's so vitriolic and horrible and mean-spirited that it's almost as if it's a piece of performance art. The same thing with Gawker. Like people have taken snarkiness and insulting people and berating them to a level of art. Um, and, um, what do they get out of it? I, I think there are a lot of people who are angry and, uh, lonely and, um, maybe, um, their mom's calling them you know, up from the basement, they have to stop playing Xbox and clear the table <laughs> or set the table for dinner. I, who knows? You know, it's like, I mean, only on the internet would you have to actually uh, think about why, you know, clearly disturbed people are writing absurd things on the internet. Um, and, uh, but that's why I sort okay. of got out of it. I was like, this is just, okay, well, the dialogue went from being like the best dialogue on the planet like, that was the thing that I loved about blogging. I was like, oh, wow, this is like all the intelligent people are talking. And they're like, yeah, blogging is really easy now. And all the stupid people had blogs. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Well, why, yeah, well, okay. So why didn't you just say turn off the comments as opposed to going all the way to starting an email list? Well, because I still liked the back and forth. And now I get more back and forth than I ever did. Because it turns out when you have these, you know, mental patients you know uh defecating at a dinner party nobody else wants to be at it so uh mm -hmm. all these other people were just like opting out of blogging as well at the same time like oh what's the point it's just a bunch of people and now it's even worse it's like oh my god every tech blog is just wants to get on tech meme as if it's important i mean i like tech meme i look at it a couple times a day but um do we really need to have 35 blogs comment on the same you know story like they're, they're just chasing sure. traffic and it's just it's right. not what blogging was supposed to be that's you know it was sort of a disappointment to me that, that blogging you know was co-opted by i mean it's listen it's partially my fault but the commercial forces of blogging have now destroyed the the has have largely destroyed the dialogue is there any way that that kind of media or social media in general could get better to the kind of quality that you saw in days of old i i don't know i mean if you're if you're serving the page master, you know, uh, and the and the and revenue, you're you're kind of screwed. So, you know, if you're a TechCrunch writer, you need to write something more salacious in the next day and more crazy, and you know, uh, to to get more click-throughs and mashable is you know every possible keyword stuffing, you know, thing, and it's it's just a whole. Um, you know, and it's just, listen, I understand that people got to get traffic. They got to, they got bills to pay, but the whole thing has just become about generating traffic. And originally it was about generating conversations. Uh, and so that's where I think you see so many people, intelligent people, considered people moving to email. Um, Kevin Rose would rather talk to a thousand intelligent people than, you know, a million idiots. 
uh, it's obvious why he's going there. He, you know, it's everybody's like attacking him constantly. Like it's almost like he went through the same curve I went through. I just went through it a year before him. Now everybody's attacking Kevin Rose. Like he's the devil, you know, like, Oh, you, you're a sellout. You're this, you're that, you know, it's like, there's Kevin Rose. He's just a normal guy. Like, you know, he doesn't have any bad intentions, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so whatever. Anyway, he's, he's reinventing himself a little bit and, and I, I applaud him for doing it. Familiarity does breed contempt, so that's that's the kind of issue that you're playing with. It's just the general kind of psychological issue. Well, it's a little no, bit of that. I think there's so many there the the haters. Um, if they just the person who screams the longest and the most abrasively for the longest period of time wins, well, the intelligent people walk away, and that's what's happened. You know, it's like a, being at like a community meeting or something. It's like whenever it's like it's it's context dependent, but whenever a community gets large enough, it's like that's the same thing happens every time. So if if you if you want a community, to, if you want to continue growing it, you're going to run into that. It seems like, I mean, it seems like I think impossible they call it God, to keep it. Godwin's law is when uh, Godwin's law the community. Yeah. I think it's Godwin's. Yeah, after Mike Godwin, who's at the AFF now. G O D W I N. Anyway, we, I think it's like when somebody calls another person Hitler, <laughs> or compares right. it to the Holocaust. That's it. That's when you know that it's like, it. that's the end of the conversation. Okay. You're like, <laughs> you know what? I don't think that we can compare the iPhone not having a USB port to the Holocaust. We need yeah. to stop this discussion. All hope you, is you know lost. What? <laughs> you know, you know uh, one thing I missed that you also stopped doing. Used to do was the Betacast. Where you would essentially just yep. record yourself talking for, I don't know, it was like 30, 45 minutes. You, it was almost like an audio version of what is now your email list. You would, it, you it would is, sort yeah. of rant. I, yeah, it was kind of a rant, but you know, I was, it was really interesting. I mean, I do enjoy this week in startups, but you know, you're talking to other people, you're talking to Tyler, commenters coming in. So you're kind of not really going in detail. You're not going to a lot of depth in what your thought is. You seem to reserve that to at least your thoughts that originate with you. You you reserve that to your emails. Um, but I, I did enjoy the uh, beta cast. You know, and, and I'm just curious. What this is our unsolicited advice section. We have we have uh, this with every guest where we just give unsolicited advice. No, I'm, I'm not giving. Okay, I'm kind of taking it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I, no, I really I, I like, like it. it. I, I really enjoy the beta cast, and I, you did it for like ten or fifteen shows, and then you uh, then yeah. I guess you. You ended it, and I'm just curious: Did you end it because you wanted to do something a little bigger with the video, or you just run out of time, or what made you end it? Um, I like to try a lot of different things, and I, I just wasn't sure if that was the right format, or if I wanted to have a dialogue. And then I think with this week in startups, I sort of feel like, and maybe I'm incorrect, but I sort of feel like people don't want to hear me as much as they want to hear me interview somebody and pull good information out of them. So I've been really trying hard to pull good information out of people, but. It might be good, you know. Like I think this is probably some people who like the, the I don't know, um, I don't, you know, like a what do they call that when somebody gives a little mini speech, monologue or soliloquy, uh, soliloquy, like a little monologue, yeah, yeah, a little soliloquy, a little monologue. I think there's people who probably like that, and so maybe I, it might be actually, what is it like? Glenn, doesn't Glenn Beck do like a little like holier than thou, like <laughs> I just start doing well, that. That's that, that kind of the one end of the spectrum. You don't but have the right. There's also an in between, which is like you just give a little bit more information about yourself as the show goes on. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that absolute. Yeah, I just thought it was. It. Oh, I yeah. just thought it was. It was uh, fun to listen to. I really enjoyed it. It was. It was sort of. Um, it seemed like a lot of times it was sort of contemplative for you, and I just found it fun to listen to. That's why I missed it a little bit when you stopped doing yeah, it. Maybe, but maybe I understand. I'll, why. Maybe, I'll, maybe, I'll do, maybe I'll do one. Maybe I'll do a contemplative. 
They'll go old school. A little old school. Old school, yeah. Just, just a monologue. Right. You, yeah, yeah. sir, Mr. Jobs, <laughs> with your iPhone, iPad, and bringing the App Store to the desktop, taking your 30% tax as if you were... <laughs> that would be that would actually the be English awesome. themselves well I declare now is our tea party <laughs> you, you know before, before I, but, deleting my apps and moving I, I to Linux what, on the desktop I think while you're doing a little uh, imitation thing there I think we need to hear a little cowbell oh <laughs> <laughs> you you get Jesse, you know what I'm talking about? Like a number of times, I think you were on Twit. You would do your imitation of um, uh, what's his name from um, King of New York? Um, oh, more, need more cowbell? Chris, yeah, yeah. You Chris Walk. Wow, it's been a great interview. <laughs> yeah, I would do a little bit. So I was, uh, I miss being on the show. I'll be honest. I screwed up my relationship with Leo. What happened there? Exactly. Ugh. Um. I, I, you know, I am not like the most subtle guy and I pursue things with a certain tenacity and perhaps I pursued uh, the This Weekend thing with a level of tenacity that he did not expect and I think that it cost me my friendship with him. So I regret it and to a certain extent. I mean, I don't regret it so much that I'm going to unplug the, you know, business which is becoming very successful. Um, but, you know, he did tell me like, Basically, what happened was that the domain was available, and uh, you know somebody reached out to me about it, and I was like, okay, sure. I'll, uh, or I'm not sure. Maybe I reached out to them. I, I, I saw it was available because I was doing this week in start. That's what happened. I was I was doing this week in startups, and he gave me my blessing on that because he said, listen, Jason, you're too polarizing. You can't be on every show because I'll lose half the audience. But you can't not be on every third or fourth show because I'll lose the other half of the audience because he complained that you're not on the show. And I said, okay, that's my role. So I'll be on every fourth show. So we agreed on like you know every four, three or four shows I'll be on. And I told him, you know, if, if you ever have somebody cancel last minute, call me because I'm I, I'm usually stay home on the weekends, and that's why you saw me on the show a lot because a lot of times people were, you know, not available, and he frankly he called me, you know, and I and I love doing it. I love being on the radio with Leo. I think we had some really uh, there, were, there were some episodes in there that are just classic. You know, some of the I think some of the best oh, yeah. episodes. Those are my favorites. Um, those those are some of my favorites. I you and, you and of, if you were Devor, if you were Dvorak or not on the show, I think it's flat and boring. You, it, one of the two, you have to be on there to make it. Need to have that role. Can I can I ask it just? To, I just want to interject. Can you imagine a way to any way possible to repair that relationship? I, I've tried. Um, I think uh, the answer is no, but I am hopeful. Um, that I, I'm always hopeful that there's some way to to build a bridge. But I mean, basically, I went to him and said, "Hey, um, you know, he gave me his blessing to do this week in startups." And I and I and I asked him. I said, "Do you mind if I call it this week in startups because it would be sort of like an homage to what you were doing?" And you know, Denise, our friend, is doing this week in law with you. And you know, I thought maybe he would put this week in startups on on his network, you know, and put it on his thing. And um, that is different to this week in star, you know, in 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 Wildcard. Yeah. yeah, and so. Well, no, but but then I said, listen, um, uh, the This Weekend domain is available. We should grab this. And Kevin Pollock's doing a show. Why don't we uh, put – you have he, – he had like three of his 20 shows or two of the 20 shows at the time were This Weekend. Most were not. Right. You know, he only had right. This Weekend well, – This Weekend Google think, didn't right? exist. This week, it was This Weekend Law and This Weekend Tech, and then he added This Weekend Google. But that the whole fallout, I think, happened before the Googling. I'm not sure exactly. Um, but anyway, I, I said to him, I said, you know, 
we should grab this domain name. It's like 18 grand. You know, somebody's going to take it. Do you want to buy it or you want to, you want, I said, you want to do half and half. What do you want to do? Uh, and we can put all of our This Week In shows there. We can make a couple more. And it's like, I don't want it. You know, you take it. So I was like, okay. So I bought it. And I said, well, at least this will be shorter. And I, my idea was I'll just find all the This Week In shows and I'll just link to them. And then I was like, well, nobody's doing a This Week In iPad show. So I said, we should do that show and we should do a couple more shows. And it just started to grow. And he was cool with it. And then all of a sudden he saw I raised a little money and I had a, but you know, um, you know, started to hire people and build it out. And I said, I don't really want to do the tech stuff and you're only doing tech. And he basically told me like three or four times, like, it's totally cool, dude. Don't worry about it. I don't own the this weekend. As a matter of fact, he said it on the show, but I should have realized maybe that. But couldn't was, you, just out of curiosity, couldn't you have given him like a stake, an equity stake in it so that he, you would have just gotten his blessing the whole way through? Well, I think he said on the air, he thought I was trying to muscle into the business. Um, and using the domain as leverage, um, which in hindsight, I, I can see his point. But at the time, I, I thought our friendship was strong enough that, like, I would never do that to you, Leo. Like, as, and I, as a matter of fact, like, when he was upset about the This Week in iPad show, I said to him, I said, Leo, take the show. I, I won't do it anymore. Or why don't we do it together? And you would, we'd have another, you know, every week we'd have an hour when the two of us could just wrap out about the eye. Can you imagine how much money we'll make on this thing? It'll be like huge. Your network, my network, it'll be like the biggest show. And the iPad's huge. Well, its sponsorship will be, you know, 10 grand a week. It would be like the, the best show. Um, or I told uh, him I'll stop doing it and you do it. And I'll, and I'll read, I told him I'll redirect the, the feed burner to your uh, RSS feed and I'll just put a little message out that, hey, you know, Leo's going to do the show from now on and you can own the whole show. I'll take nothing. Um, so yeah, maybe, I don't know. I mean, at, at some point... I think he's probably making like I think I've read three or four million dollars now, and we're not quite to that point yet. Uh, we're brand new, but we have twenty shows or so, and um, I think they're of uh, improving quality, but definitely mixed because we're taking chances and moving quick, which is what I did with Weblogs Inc. and that worked out pretty well. Um, and you know, two years from now, when you know he's got you know his huge tech audience, and I've got my huge consumer audience for video games and movies and TV, which is what we're trying to do. Autos, you know, reality television, those kind of things. Um, maybe we'll be able to reconcile. I don't know. I feel, I mean, listen, Leo, if you're, if you're listening to this message, Leo, uh, I am sorry. <laughs> I yeah, am I, that's too bad. I, that, you know, I'd, I'd like to see you guys repair that. That was. That was I feel bad, bad about it. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I would love to, to be, um, for, for you guys to repair that relationship. And also, I'd love for uh, texting to be instrumental in helping you guys. Texting, that you're like, wow. We, look at you guys. You're like, hey, wait a second. This is a great moment. We could get texting on to, Texting the mediators. Kidding me? You know how many inbound links we could get for repairing this relationship? But it's one of the greatest tech relationships, apart from Leo Laporte and um, John Dvorak, right? You know what? And if that works, we'll go off to repairing the Arrington Calacanis relationship. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll really read. Oh, that one. That one's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm guessing. Um, yeah. Well, but in in that one, you d d isn't it sort of karma? Because in in a sense, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm misspeaking, but it kind of seems maybe you you were slighted in the similar way that Leah was the other way around. Yeah, I can't talk about that legal situation. Too yeah, let's skip over that one. Let that one go. Okay. Yeah, that I, one you know. It, I, um, I, I can say I really, um, I'm really proud of the work we did together and I'm okay. sad that we, I'm actually sad we didn't get to, um, take it over the finish line together, which is really what I wanted. Right. Mm. And in a way I'm happy for Mike and the team. Right. 
So here's a here's a uh, another switching topics a little bit. And now for something completely nope, different. That's right. <laughs> uh, and this is not um, I'd say I got two. And which one I want to do? Okay, I'll go for one. It's um, the when you're when you're trying out these new shows in this weekend. Um, what seems to be the biggest challenge to getting it right? Is it the host or host? Is it figuring out the content? I mean, when you when what is it that you're looking for? What is it you've discovered that are the key components? The key component uh, is clearly a host who is passionate about passion and knowledge of the subject. If you put somebody on the air who is very knowledgeable, uh, they're going to do really well. If you put somebody on the air who is really knowledgeable and who's uh, passionate about the subject, they're going to do awesome. Uh, if you put somebody on the air who is... Um, uh, knowledgeable, passionate, and who can um, speak well and is entertaining, then that's icing on the cake. I think where most media get it wrong is they focus on um, how polished is the presenter. I mean, Leo is extremely polished, right? I mean, sure. He's well, he's a, he's a long time pro, right? Yeah. But he also but, knows a huge amount about, uh, about but his space. He, that's his thing. He knows a lot about it. And that's why he is uh, so, um, you know, that's why he's the king. And, if you look at me coming on the show, uh, when I came on this week in uh, tech and then did my own show, uh, I had a lot of knowledge and even more passion than knowledge in some cases, but probably I would say equal. Um, and I got better as a, as, as a host. You know, I learned how to not talk over people. I know how to learn how to give simpler answers. So, you know, I think now if you can get those three things, you're the complete package. But for us, we'll take somebody who's knowledgeable and, we can, and passionate and we can teach them how to be a good enough presenter. Is there places for people to audition for that, for this weekend? Yeah, I mean, they're constantly um, auditioning people. And um, I think right now the biggest problem we have is we have so many shows. We've run out of studio time because we have one studio here. So uh, Mahalo and this weekend are building three more studios here in Santa Monica. So we'll have four wow. studios. Are they, all, are, they all, wait, wait, are they all in the same building? Or are, you, are you having to move into a different block, different buildings down? We're the taking, we got another like 8,000 square feet we're taking um, here in the complex. So we'll keep the original 10,000 and adding 8,000. I was uh, going to say, why, why do you even need a studio if people could make that stuff at home? Um, because we want to do it at scale. And so the quality level at home will be very variable and scaling will be much slower. So we've tried to have, we, we've had some people do remote, like having a remote guest is okay, but the person who's the host of the show should be in the studio and having all the hosts come to one studio, uh, you know, with one set of equipment and being, um, we're talking about being able to go fast, right? If you're doing, you're doing, you guys do one show a week and you we probably do two have four shows hours, week. two shows a week. So you got to think about four hours of post-production uh, for each show maybe and an hour or two of prep for each show. Yeah, not quite that much. We we get we we get it much faster than that. But anyway, <laughs> well, we've, 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 we figured out how to be efficient. But yeah, he's he, your point is well taken. Yeah, there is a fair Maybe amount of two time. hours. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you got to write a blog post, you got to tweet it. You know, I'm counting. You know, soup to nuts. Yeah. You, you, yeah. What takes us the time is researching the guests. I mean, basically, it's the okay. the, the actual show stuff isn't so long, but it's 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 the guests yeah. and the topics that take the time. Yeah. So you know, even if it's an hour before, an hour and a half during, and an hour and a half after, um, you have to you have to be efficient. And imagine doing it 25 times. Now you're talking right. about scale issues. You got to upload 25 video files. You got to update 25 RSS feeds. You've got to sell the inventory for 25 shows. You've got to manage the inventory for 25 shows. This is uh, these are challenges, and uh, that's what we're working through. And you know, I I think that there's a market for 50 or 100 shows. Um, and so I, I set the original least. goal. Yeah. 
Yep. And so we'll see how we if we get there. Um, and well, Justin, you know the, the other difference too is, of course, here they're doing video, right? And we video you have lighting and camera issues. And you want your yeah. background oh, to look and the size way. of the files. Forget yeah. upload. I mean. You have you must have massive um, uh, bandwidth costs because I was just looking at numbers that we just ran ran. We're like we're already at one point five terabytes per month. Our little audio show, and I would imagine you, you must be doing you know thousands <laughs> of terabytes. I mean, yep. where are you? At? Storm on demand. Thank you for uh, sponsoring the network. Uh, and oh. uh, we've got a hundred megabit connection here at the office, synchronous, so mm-hmm. we can upload a lot of content. Right, oh, yeah, right. Sure. So let's also let's talk a little bit about your launch conference. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to know the difference between that and the TechCrunch 50. Are you doing 50 companies? Is it just whoever you think is good enough? And what's what's the story with launch? And when is it? It's gonna yeah. So launch is February 23rd and 24th, uh, and it is. Um, I think it's evolving the the demo uh, conference style. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, the the way Mike took the TechCrunch 50 conference was to um, play down the number of startups and then, you know, have a bunch of CEOs there like Tim Armstrong or Carol Bartz. And, you know, those kind of people suck the air out of the room because they're such big, huge presences, you know, um, mm-hmm. that everybody's got to write about them, publicly traded companies, you know, in turmoil or, you know, you know, uh, reinventing themselves, um, depending on how you look at it. I think, I think they're both actually have pretty good prospects, but, um, and both have pretty good leaders. Uh, but, I wanted to do something just for startups. And so this is just for startups and I'm doing it at a very cheap price. I'm not trying to make any money. I'm just trying to make an impact with it. And so, um, we think, um, you know, I picked 10 of the 40 companies and it'll just be, here are 40 companies, uh, presenting and they'll be in two different groups, 1.0 and 2.0, 1.0, brand new company, brand new product, 2.0, existing company, new product or existing company, uh, uh, you know, an up, a significant upgrade to a product. So uh, you'll see some of the big boys launch, or big boys, uh, bigger companies uh, or medium-sized companies uh, launch some new ideas and products there, and uh, everybody will get a chance to play, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Is it all venture-orientated, or is there any bootstrapping involved? No, they're bootstrapped. Yeah, there's some bootstrap ones. I mean, there, there are a couple companies that are two people in a garage, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to make sure I get this straight. There are 41.0 and 42.0 companies? Or 20 of 40- each, 21.0. I think it'll be, it'll be about 21.0, 22.0. If, if we wind up having 25 and 15 of one and the other, we'll just go with the numbers, you know? So you haven't closed um, submissions? No. Um, we, we did a, an interesting thing where we had rolling. So we had early, and then we have the second deadline coming up. Uh, but I've been looking at them on a rolling basis. So mm-hmm. if people are ready, they can just email and I'll take a look at it if it kicks ass and that's okay, how we well, want to first time. Okay, let me ask you about my startups that work and figure out if it's, if it's a good fit. So I, <laughs> okay, I've been working go. on, Yeah, yeah, here we go. Here we go, Justin. <clears throat> here we go, here we go. Okay. I was waiting for Justin to say it usually brings up uh, App Ignite. <clears throat> so here we go. Um, okay. So App Ignite, working on it for a past year, it basically allows you to build an applic- a web application in you know minutes rather than months, right? Point and click, design the whole thing without having to write code. Um, and I already have a couple thousand people signed up on the beta list. I've talked about it on the show. So there are people who know what it is, but it hasn't been launched. And mm-hmm. I remember at TechCrunch 50, you're like, look, you have to be completely stealth. And yeah. so my two questions for you are, one, I'm not sure I want venture capital. I might want to just, you know, bootstrap and come out and start charging for it out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're not looking for formal funding per se, would you think it would still be worth doing, spending the time in, in, in prepping for the show and going to the show, I- assuming I was accepted? And um, 
B, since I'm not completely stealth, would I be disqualified? Um, so uh, taking your last question first, um, if it's a, a completely new company, but maybe people have heard what it does and it has, but it has no press and the website is just sort of a landing page, like, hey, coming soon, uh, that yeah. would be fine. If um, the product um, is launched and has, uh, you know, a bunch of stories about it uh, in the New York Times and TechCrunch and Mashable and ReadWriteWeb and GigaOM, well, then it's probably launched and it wouldn't be something new on stage. So yeah. then nobody, see, the, the, the reason it has to be new on stage stage is because uh, you want people to actually show up for the event. If I say, hey, you know, we're launching Uber at, you know, officially at the launch conference, it's like, well, oh. I've been using Uber for three months, getting cabs. Well, yeah, it's, but this incidentally, is the incident, Incidentally, I'm the one building the dispatch system for Uber. That's funny. The new, the new dispatch system. Uh, you yeah, wrote another it? point of contact. <laughs> another point of contact. Travis That's very contacted strange. me a few weeks ago and he's like, yeah, dude, you hooked me up. So I've been working oh, on cool. the, the new... Yeah. So anyway, so, but anyway, if, uh, if they launched a new category of service, if they said, oh, we're going to deliver milk to people's houses uh, and you just take out your phone and you <laughs> click on milk delivery, Uber milk, um, that would be uh, in the 2.0 competition, existing company, new product. Boom. Sure. So uh, there are some people who are, you know, in sort of special situations. Uh, you know, I showed at Y Combinator and 100 people saw it, but it's got no press. Like, OK, we can work with that, you know. Basically, we want the people who come in the audience to see new stuff on stage. If the stuff has been launched for three months and your PR person tells you you didn't officially have your launch, so then you qualify, your PR person is wrong. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Okay. And so you're a launchman, <laughs> you would launch. Right, right. And do you think that do you think that the PR? I mean, I guess the I mean the real the real goal of it is to, it sounds like it's twofold. It's one to get a PR, you know, get a lot of stories written about you, right? It serves as like a, like a super launch event for you. But the also is to, is to get really put in front of investors, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the two part. Um, I think, um, a lot of folks, um, uh, a lot of folks do the launch, will do the launch event and the demo event and TechCrunch Disrupt and these kind of things, um, to get, uh, press and to get, uh, their first group of you know early adopters. I think that's the main reason. Mm. Okay, and, uh, and, and so a good it, reason. It, but I do the. I mean, I basically am inviting all my angel and VC friends to come as my guest. So they then they're all signing up. So yeah, this will be the biggest collection of VCs and angels you ever saw. Okay, so the second, my second question, which is whether I'm on the fence about getting investment, because I, I part of me thinks, hey, you know, I think this thing could start making money out of the gate. Maybe I don't want to take the time worrying about investors and all the time it takes to get that stuff sorted sorted out. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think for people? Do you think it's still worthwhile for people without the uh, who aren't looking for? Um, yeah, of course. Thing? I mean, the the if you want customers, this is a great way to get customers. Uh, so yes, uh, that's definitely a reason to do it. And if you're not interested in raising money, that's fine. I think that's um, uh, a good thing because like developing a poker hand, you know, the, the longer um, you could stay in and see the cards start turning over and the more your hand develops, you know, free cards, as they say, like, yeah. um, that's good for you. So if you start developing this startup and, hey, now I've got 
uh, you know, $10,000 in revenue and I got this really nice client and I get $10,000, $10,000 a month coming in. I don't really need to raise venture capital. My partner and my program and I are, we're all getting paid. Uh, Hey, now I got 25,000. I always love that. I I, I love raising money when you don't need it. I mean, that's the best. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like, tell me, why should I accept your money? (laughs) Right. You get the, you get little better terms and I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm someone who likes, I want control. You know, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't mind if someone wants to put in money and, and, and give me some advice and, and we can talk about things, but I'm always concerned about great, losing great control. investors, great investors. Um, you know, the really good ones that, and if you check their references, you'll find out the great ones are not looking to control because I've got 20 angel investments. I can't control even, even if I wanted to, I don't have the time to control, even if they would let me. And I don't want to invest in anybody who is looking for a taskmaster. I mean, I want people who, will tell me like, uh, you know, I say, hey, maybe Uber, hey, Travis, maybe you should do this. And I want Travis to go, oh, no, uh, you know, that's, we thought about that two months ago and we tried it and uh, initial results came back with uh, these metrics. So, and I'm like, okay, great. That's awesome. Are you an investor in Uber? Yeah. Oh, okay. So so you're indirectly working for Jason. I guess so. Yeah, I should. Um, You didn't even know that. Bizarre. Uh, Great company. So do you invest in people or do you invest in ideas? Yeah, I, I invest in um, both, I would say, because I have invested in, well, l- put it this way. Um, I would rather invest in, I would rather invest in the right person with the wrong idea than the wrong person with the right idea. Because um, the per- the right person will always uh, figure it out and pivot. You know, like it, it, people told me this, like, they're like, I'm not sure your human powered search engine's going to work, Mr. Kanakanis, but I know you'll figure it out. Here's the money. And, you know, like, literally had people say that to me uh, before right. they gave me, you know, seven figures. Um, you know, I, there is definitely something there and you will iterate and you will figure it out. And uh, I will see you in the promised land and I want to bet on you. So I think, um, yeah, I, you definitely bet on people above people and markets right because ideas are fluid uh you know those are tactics so if you were if i'm going to bet on somebody uh you know to win the war uh i'm going to bet on the american military because i think that uh they have you know the best uh you know the, the best you know strategy and technology that you could have so you want you want someone like travis like okay this person's going to win the war even if they lose a battle here or there um that's okay you know you just iterate so you, you need warriors, you know. So has your, um, I don't know, I guess you call it your angel investing thesis evolved? I mean, because you, you, you've done, you said 20 already? Yep. And so have you, as that, did you go in with one idea of how you wanted to think about your investing and start adjusting um, that time, or has that just... I, I set a five-year goal to become as influential uh, an angel investor uh, as... Uh, Chris Saka and um, Dave McClure and uh, perhaps someday Ron Conway. So if I could be considered in the same sentence as those guys in terms of providing value, I, I would be happy. So I think, you know, a year and a half into it, 30% into it, I'm, I'm, I'm no Ron Conway, that's for sure. But, um, and I'm no Chris Saka and, uh, and I'm no Dave McClure. But I do see uh, that my name is on some of the same deals and we, we work on some of the same deals. So I'm doing something right. And um, I think, you know, if the, the way you'll ultimately be judged as, a, as an angel investor is uh, by how much you support the companies. And so mm-hmm. I've been working hard to, you know, uh, 
call my call an email and stay in touch with my CEOs and say and my founders and say hey is there anything I can help with and if you ever need a tweet whether it's you know I mean it sounds stupid but if you ever need a tweet for a job opening uh, or you ever need you know somebody like if I'm linked into them you know like I'll call them and introduce you and uh, guess what you know sometimes they do and sometimes they just call to shoot the you know shoot the S and we uh, talk about what it's like to be a founder so I think that's where I can provide a lot of value because I've been there before like you know, sometimes I'm talking to some of the angel investments about their VCs who are panicking, you know, um, or are acting weird. And I say, oh, this is how you manage a VC. Now, <laughs> is this all of your uh, money or did you, are you managing um, a fund with other money, outside money? Yeah, I, uh, I have not raised a fund yet. Uh, okay. That would be another thing to do. So I, I don't know yet. Um, uh, maybe in the future. Because you were you were wait, you were talking about this before at some point. I thought initially you yeah, were yeah, just thinking about it. You know, like Open Angel Forum could become a fund, but it's just it's so much work. And I, if I did it, I would want to do it right. So you know, my basic priorities right now are, uh, you know, after my family and uh, after poker. Uh, no, family. <laughs> uh, oops, my investors are listening. Um, right. No, after after my family, obviously, and on a professional basis, it's um, Mahalo is number one and then uh launch in this weekend and the uh, you know uh, generally number two uh mm-hmm. you know tied for number two and then the angel investments are number three but i'm taking a pause on the angel investing right now to just sort of digest the 20 and help them uh but I, you know i got some good news the other day one of the investments got bought so that's nice and made a little wow. return not huge but a little return which, that which company was that? uh it's not announced yet but okay. uh, did you lead any of the rounds or were you um, no no, I, but I did syndicate some of them, which is a, 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 a nuance. Like um, the guys from Reportive and Backupify, both of those companies, I reached out to them and said, Are you, have you considered doing a round? And they were like, yeah, we've been thinking about it. And I brought them to Open Angel Forum and both of them raised uh, from Open Angel Forum. So there's been a bunch of companies that I brought to Open Angel Forum that that was where they raised, you know, that, that was the start of their angel investing process. So I would say more like a light syndication. I don't, it's not really like a syndication because I'm not, like originating the paperwork or doing all that stuff, but more like introducing, like, hey, you know, I thought these guys were special. You know, you do your own due diligence. You know, obviously, it's your money. You have to invest it wisely. But um, so the open open angel forum, you you open that after that rant because you had that crazy rant um, at the the company who were charging for people to to yeah the Kiretsu forum, and I've almost <laughs> destroyed them completely. <laughs> They've been vanquished. Um, I've had guys tell me, like, from different chapters, like, listen, uh, it's you've destroyed the organization, and, uh, you know, they're folding up shop in these different markets, and I want to join Open Angel Forum, and, you know, what do I got to do? <laughs> Can awesome. I come to the event? It's pretty pretty comical to me. I find so, it quite entertaining. I, I have two questions about that. I guess the first is, so how how does the Angel Forum uh, the was it called the Open Angel Forum? That the Open yep. Angel Forum. How does that compare to the launch event? I mean, is it sort of like our like mini launch events? I mean, what would be a reason to, <laughs> well, to do the, launch versus yeah. this and the other? Launch is public with okay. a thousand people, you know, and anybody can go and anybody can buy a ticket and and uh, it's open. Open Angel Forum, ironically, is not open. <laughs> it's it is closed. <laughs> you cannot attend. No, it's a meeting between people who are running companies. Uh, who are starting companies and raising money for them, and investors. So as a meeting, it can't be open to the public because we're talking about confidential things like, what is your business strategy to take over the world? You know, and like startups are not going to do that um, publicly uh, in the same way 
that uh, angel, angel investors are going to require them to in a discussion. So it's a very private uh, affair, actually. Uh, and it's only 30 people and, you know, 10, 10, 10 people from five or six companies. And then, um, you know, uh, 20, 25 angel investors in some markets, 15 depends on how many are in the market. And um, it's a very quick, you know, thing. So you, I would say you could go to open angel farm, raise money, build a product and then launch it launch, or you could go to launch uh, and, um, you can go to launch and then raise money at launch because I'm inviting all the, those people. Or I have a company that um, is at launch, um, and uh, uh, and so uh, they're coming to launch. And they said, "Oh, we want to apply to the Open Angel Forum." And I said, "You know what? Do launch first because I think you'll ha- you'll have a better negotiating position after you've launched at launch, uh, and then go to you know the thing. Or do a small angel round now to just cover what you need to do." Uh, and you know, maybe I'll participate or I'll introduce you to a couple of people, um, and go from there. So right. yeah, I think you could do both. Now, That's what possible. cities are, and, and is there is there sort of a listing now of the cities that the the, the upcoming Open Angel Forums are going to be held? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, with the eight cities we did last year were um, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Palo Alto, uh, New York, Boulder. Boston and the UK, London, um, and we're going to do at Philly. Oh, we did Seattle this year too, and we're going to do Philly, um, Shanghai, and Tel Aviv probably next year. So, cool. well, uh, I'm actually, it's, I've got an idea for you. Oh, unsolicited uh, advice segment coming up. Okay, well, you've you've got you've got the two different things. You've got the Open Angel Forum and you've got the Launch Conference. Yes. How about something <clears throat> that was strictly online and you had one once every month you launched one business, so it was like a continual. Because I was just thinking, that or. I, I, a reality yeah. television show. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Do you have ah. a, Do you have a reality television show in the wings? I have been approached <laughs> over right. the past two years seven times to do a reality television show. Wow. Okay. So cl- clearly, you haven't said yes to that. Um, they've. I, I would have said yes if one or two of them would have. I would have said yes to if they came to fruition, but they didn't. So right. it's just you know discussions, approached, you know. Because, because the frustration for a frustration for me is that I'm I can't have the thing that I'm working on ready for launch, and I, it will no. be ready like four months later. But then it's too long till the next launch for me to yeah. not launch it. Right? I, so if you had, what if I did if it you, twice a year? If you did it twice a year, or if you if you did like maybe one product a month, you know. Or what the, if I did it in London? Yeah, well, Justin, that'd be useless for me because I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, uh, well uh, then uh, maybe I could do it in Los Angeles for you, and I'll nice. get a thousand. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, do it once a month. Um, the problem with doing, like, it's, it's, it's a good idea. Uh, it's uh, one of the things with doing these events is, you know, people are busy. And uh, the amount of work it takes to do an event for one uh, is the amount of work, generally, it takes to do for all 40. I just meant purely on the web. No, like, no, no yeah. event. Just, just a web-based launch once a I month. I think you lose the excitement. There's something special about people taking the time out of their day to be in person. So okay. you could do it that way. I could launch them on this weekend or something. You know, it's possible. I agree. I like the in-person. It was pretty exciting at or, TechCrunch. Or 50. I could just do, yeah, it was super exciting. Um, I, I, I could launch uh, on the um, This Week in Startups, or I could do a new show called The Launch Show. I could do a yeah, second exactly. podcast. That would exactly. just be launching yeah. stuff. I hmm. like that idea. Yeah. You could do a monthly show. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That, a monthly show where you just, where you just have, have people uh, kind of submitting. Launch new and, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Not That's, a bad idea. That you know, I just, I got to do... You didn't like these, it at first. <laughs> I, well, eh, I mean, I just think, you know, um, 
you know, the other one's more exciting, but maybe they would have more reach, you know, if I, if I teased it a whole bunch, like, hey, you know, coming every first of the month, who will be selected? Um, but yeah, I know I think uh, a reality show would be better. <laughs> right. You know, in fact, speaking of, speaking of like TV shows and stuff, I, I saw you in a movie, actually, which is weird. I, I, what movie is that you were in? Uh, the guy Are you sure that wasn't his lookalike? Because no, he does have a he, lookalike. He, he, he kind of did. Was it Ricky camp- Schroeder? No, you did a cameo, and I, I can't remember. It was like a guy like Paige? I was. Uh, I have been in uh, three films. Okay. Uh, the first is uh, Center of the World with Peter Sarsgaard, directed by Wayne Wang. Okay. Uh, and in that, I play a, a CEO, uh, an abrasive internet CEO. Yeah, I think that was and, the one I saw. Uh, right. <laughs> yes, uh, playing basketball with Peter Sarsgaard. Yes, uh, and uh, then there was another one where I play myself, uh, an abrasive internet uh, CEO. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was with um, called August, and mm-hmm. uh, it was with Josh Hartnett. And uh, then I was in We Live in Public, which is a documentary film in which I play myself, uh, <laughs> internet pundit, abrasive internet CEO pundit. No more pundit. pundit. Okay, okay, all right. I'm more are, are you aware now. of the 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 guy who looks like an ugly version of you? The, the actor who's who's in Mad Men, the English guy. No, there's an ugly. There's an Englishman who's ugly. Really? <laughs> he <laughs> looks like a kind of ugly version of you, slightly reminiscent. He's I don't. The, he's, I don't know. he's the main. He's the kind of the English guy that they bring in to um, help with the company. Uh, he wears glasses. Uh, uh, wow, I'm gonna have to look that up. English guy on uh, English guy madman. I'm gonna look that up right now. <laughs> but but you yeah. you won't be very flattered when you see him. So just it's just, the just ugly do he, It's the ugly version. Oh yeah, look at that. I um. Yeah, because he's got, he does look like me a little bit, yeah. <laughs> That's right. If I was a little ugly, oh my God, he's got like pock marks on his face and everything, but he does have a slightly receding hairline, thin hair, and uh, pasty white. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks a lot for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun for us. It, it, it would be. I can definitely see that. <laughs> I'm joking with you. I'm just because talking. you rock, right? No, 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 no. That's no, why I do. Yes, yes, yes. I do. We, no. Look, listen. We know that we're talking to the biggest name in tech. Don't worry. We know. Not really. Not really. Well, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe after job. Wait a second. Is Zuckerberg's on the call? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a wrap. We're out. Am I episode 100? You are episode 100. Mr. Dvorak was 50, and you get the honor of being 100. Yeah, see, I was 50. I was way before Kyle Canish. (laughs) I was also on this big tech before Kyle Canish, and I was using Windows before him as well.